1: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
2: Welcome to episode 220 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is lives of family caregivers and the consequences. The consequences of lives of family caregivers provide shining examples of care for family members living with serious and incurable illnesses like Alzheimer's disease and they provide shining examples of care for health care and social systems because of the ways in which family caregivers subsidize these systems through their unpaid efforts. But the consequences of lives of family caregivers are too often harmful to the physical, psychological, and financial health of family caregivers. And they are too often hurtful in the ways in which family caregivers are disregarded by health care and social systems, which is why our topic, Lives of Family Caregivers and the Consequences, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Glynis Walker. Glennis is a radio talk show host and the best-selling author of eight books, a radio show most recently aired on WAIT, WGN and WLS in Chicago, before moving to Chicago, her show aired on major stations such as KFI in Los Angeles, K-O-G-O and K-S-D-O in San Diego, and K-L-I-F in Dallas. She was also the resident social commentator on the daily television program, Cherrington in Toronto, Canada, for five years. She's appeared on U.S. television shows such as Oprah, Good Morning America, and Canada AM, that's Canada rather than the US. She's been featured in articles in People Magazine, USA Today, the New York Daily News, the Boston Globe, and the New York Times, among others. She holds the BA and MBA degrees and a PhD in psychology, and she's spent much of her life as a family caregiver. So welcome to the show, Glynis. Well,
3: thank you, Gordon, and thank you for having me on.
2: Great. Question. First question for you, please. Please tell us more about your personal story.
3: Well, uh, my personal story goes back to 2010 when my mother, uh, who was a widow at that point, um, had was diagnosed with dementia. And I have to tell you that all my worldly experiences up to this point, I had no experience with that. And apparently neither did a lot of her doctors because it took a long time for them to come to a terms with what the diagnosis was. In the meantime, they were looking for physical issues. And, and she went from her normal self uh, overnight into a person I did not know who was hallucinating and delusional. Um, and I, I understand from reading the medical notes uh, about two years later that she actually had a series of strokes and that 's what sent her spiraling downward into dementia and i 'm an only child um, I need to clear that one up because uh, i had I had to take care of her and all of her needs. A lot of cases with larger families I noticed from my experiences um, it's usually the youngest one who gets to take care of the, uh, the mother or the father, whoever. Uh, but it, it certainly does take a toll on their life. And it's not anything that you could expect going into it. You think you're un- in control because you're doing all the right things. And it's, it affects you in ways that are just monumental.
2: Dennis, now tell us about your work as a talk show host.
3: Oh, that was easy compared to this. <laughs> the hardest thing I've ever done is to be my mother's caregiver, um, I, without a doubt, and that includes being a single parent of two teenagers, which I was at the time that this happened. So, you are divided uh, amongst your loyalties. You know, I, I had to look after my mother. On the other hand, my children are going through that awkward growing stage that everybody who has a teenager will understand, and I and they needed me as well. So I was I was torn. Um, I have to tell you that I've done very little talk show hosting in the last three years. In fact, I've done basically nothing at all except look after my mother and her issues and and make sure that she was okay. Uh, It consumes your entire life being a caregiver. And I I didn't, even though she was in a a retirement facility, um, it didn't make any difference because I still had to, to look after her other things. I had to look after her house and her and her assets and it it just it consumes you.
2: Now let's ask you about your books. When did you when was your last book published?
3: Uh two thousand and ten. Oddly enough it was the weekend after she came down with dementia. And so uh I wrote a book in the past year uh detailing my experiences with Not only her dementia, but the fact that she became a victim of elder fraud, which is another thing I did not expect. Um, It's called uh, Swindled, oddly enough, because that's what happened to her. And when my mother died, she died in 2011, uh, basically five days from now on the second anniversary. uh, She had $50 left in the bank. They took everything. And it was, it's just unbelievable what people do, people who are in not in their right mind, seniors. Uh, it's it just they're sitting, they're sitting ducks. And it didn't matter that, that I was on top of it all the time. People didn't believe me. You know, I was the daughter. I was the one that, you know, I was the suspect, not the caregiver. And it's like, wait a minute. First of all, I'm a long distance caregiver. I Can't be there all the time, and when things go missing and and checks are written uh, in somebody else's handwriting, I expect the bank to uh, own up and say, "Well, we're sorry we cashed those checks, (laughs) but it didn't happen that way."
2: In other words, your family financial heritage, at least to some degree, was stolen, wasn't it?
3: Yes, it was, and not only was you know my mother's estate plundered, and I mean plundered. And this cost me a great deal of money, um, hiring lawyers, flying back and forth, being a long-distance caregiver, uh, dealing with all of the things that had to be dealt with. The hire I had to hire a, an expert witness at one point. Basically, everything I had that was mine in the beginning is now gone, and I find that to be true with a lot of caregivers. They get financially into pretty bad straits because, you know, you get caught up in this uh Trying to protect the person you love, and people are trying to defraud them, and you can't just stop because they'll, you know, it, it just it's it's a nightmare, and I wouldn't wouldn't want anybody else to go through it. But I imagine a lot of people will because as the boomers age into the senior population, they're going to have more money than any other senior group ever.
2: And that's a temptation. Now. All of this stor- sad story, Glynis, uh, you tell in this last book of yours. Which of your other books deal with the challenges of family caregiving?
3: Um, well, actually, my, my first two books were at the opposite end of family caregiving. I was a stepmother, and um, that was an eye-opening experience, too, because I'd never been a mother at that point. So I was doing it, I've done it on both ends, looking after other people and their needs, uh to to the detriment of your own, and I think anybody who's ever cared for anybody, whether they have Alzheimer's or they're just physically in anal frail or you, you know whatever condition they might be in, knows what it's like to you give up your whole life to the service of the
2: people who need you um- which other books deal with those broad topics that... Um, oh,
3: my, my first book was called Second Wife, Second Best, and uh, that's when I got married and inherited stepchildren. And my second book was called Solomon's Children, which was about uh, dealing with how they felt about their parents' uh, divorce.
2: Now, is all, all of those topics that you've been talking about, would you... Re- Classify them generally as being stories of family caregiving in its various forms, or do you see them as being different topics?
3: No, actually, I was just uh, discussing this with somebody today, and we just, you know, we talked about how it doesn't matter whether you're looking after small children or senior citizens. the The amount of time and effort and and blood, sweat, and tears that you have to go Through to to do your job, and it's unfortunately you know seventy five percent of people who do caregiving of any description are women, so we get stuck with it. If you like, I hate to use the term stuck with it, but that's what it comes down to, and and society really does a number on us because you know we provide in this country alone seventeen point five billion hours of unpaid care every year and there's no remuneration for that nobody hands you a check and says good job and so thanks for doing this you're out of pocket and sometimes you're out of your mind so it's like it's a job that happens to women more than anybody
2: You, you told us that your mother died um what's your future now in regard to broadcasting talk show host books are you going back to be talking about family caregiving
3: um, I'm going to do the, the, I'm going to promote the book that I just wrote uh, called Twindles And in the course of um, my mother's illness, she was in a nursing home. And I found out about three weeks ago that my mother was being give, given Seroquil. Um, I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but it's a drug that has a black box warning on it saying must not be given to elderly patients with dementia, which uh, she was one of. And uh it apparently uh hastens their death and and causes even more confusion, hallucinations, delusions and uh you know other symptoms. So now I think my next book is going to be about that.
2: What that also points to is the need for more and better information for family caregivers and that's something that if we have an opportunity later on I'd like to talk to you about because more and more on this show I hear that type of story where family caregivers are struggling with something which goodness only knows is difficult enough but they're not really clear what actually the healthcare system is providing or doing and how well their loved ones are in fact being looked after from a medical or a psychological point of view. So that's, I think, a future topic. Uh, whether it's for an episode of Family Caregivers Unite or for a book of yours or for broadcast of yours is something that I hope we'll find out in due course. Now, it's come to the time where we take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Glynis Walker. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back.
4: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk.
1: Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America talk radio network host?
4: VoiceAmerica.com
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Glennis Walker. Our topic is lives of family caregivers and the consequences. Glennis, now let's talk about family caregivers and their lives. Um you've already mentioned, Glennis, that family caregivers typically are women. Um please say more about them and also tell us what their family caregiving actually involves. Glennis?
3: Well it depends. Um In in terms of, you know, it being women, women are always the caregivers, no matter what the age of, you know, the people that they're caring for. And in my particular case, as I said earlier, I had two teenagers. They needed me. My mother, who lived uh, 15 hours away by air, boat, and uh, car, uh, also needed me. And to be in that place, uh, trying to satisfy everybody's needs, really means that your life goes into a spiral. And a lot of people... Um, end up with depression. I know I did. That the first Christmas when my mother was in the nursing home with Alzheimer's and didn't know who I was and couldn't remember who my my daughters were, it was just it was heartbreaking. I tra- we called her on Christmas Day, and she was ranting and raving, and and it was like I just I actually haven't been able to do Christmas since because it reminds me of those moments. So, you know, little pieces of your life just drift away because of your responsibility to the person that you're taking care of. And then, of course, there are the health concerns. Um, The stress level is just its out of this world. It's just, you know... you have no idea how stressed out. I mean, I live a stressful life anyway, radio and books and this and that, being a single parent, but looking after your parent from a distance when they have Alzheimer's and constantly wondering, are they okay? You know, what else can you could do? And then, of course, the fraud thing comes in and, and, and it's like, I was, I was very stressed out. So uh, last year, Um, I was uh, on my birthday I was in the cardiac ward getting a pacemaker put in because my heart kept stopping it was from the stress
2: now let's talk about the challenges in any any sense at all you've covered quite a number of them but I want to go into greater detail what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges experienced by family caregivers
3: it's when the person that you love doesn't know who you are, and you have to give and give and give, and they don't understand. You know, my, my mother, like most people with Alzheimer's, they, their, their personalities change, and they go one of two ways. They can become placid and quiet, or they can become aggressive and mean, and my mother became aggressive. So she was very, very hard to deal with because she would literally physically attack you. And she would say horrible, horrible things, and it and they hurt. It really does. But you still have to go on loving them and caregiving for them, which is why, you know, I think it's so difficult for anybody, even if they're a paid caregiver. You take tremendous amount of abuse from the person that you're trying to help. And that just sort of goes contrary to everything that we expect out of life.
2: Let's also talk about challenges particular to the long-distance family caregiving situation. We're talking now, and we have been talking about, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, and as everybody knows, um, Alzheimer's disease is one form, unfortunately the most common form of dementia. But there are other conditions which cause the kind of mental changes you're talking about. <laughs> so let's talk about those changes those challenges um, in the long-distance family caregiving situation, such as the one that you've experienced, it's difficult because,
3: for instance, my mother and I, even though we lived, you know, twenty-five hundred miles apart um, and in a different country, uh, we spoke every night on the phone at dinner time. She told me about her day. I told her about my, you know, my day, what the kids were doing. We were close, even though we were at distance. Once she got into the Alzheimer's. I couldn't do that anymore. She couldn't have a conversation. So that point of contact was broken. And then when I was with her, she doesn't remember things. Like she didn't remember that my father was dead. Uh, She didn't remember who my daughters were. And then a couple of times, and the very first time it happened, it so creeped me out. Uh, I was talking to her, and she stopped the conversation and looked at me and said, Who are you? And it broke my heart. Because I loved her so much, and we had been so close. I mean, being an only child, you have to be that way. Uh, and I realized that she didn't know who I was anymore, and that's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible feeling.
2: It is. Um, we we've been talk- We're talking about mental illness. And in particular, the kinds of mental illnesses as affect people towards the end of their lives as they're aging, as they become this word that we all hate, seniors. But mental illnesses also affect younger people, uh, young adults and yes. lead them into very difficult kind of situations. First of all, um, have you done any writing or broadcasting on the subject of these kinds of troublesome illnesses in younger people? Is Actually, this something you've looked
3: at? Um, I do have some experience with this. My very best friend uh, has five children, and the youngest one at, at Christmas just passed had a complete psychotic breakdown. And she wasn't, as nobody ever is, you know, prepared. She didn't know what to do, who to turn to. He was he was aggressive towards her. Um, he thought he was God. He was seeing things that weren't there. I mean, all the things that you just, if it happens tomorrow, you don't know what to do. And so she uh, she called a, a doctor that she knew, and he recommended that uh, he be placed into a care facility, at least until he came, you know, got into his meds and... Uh, and became somewhat normal. But she said to me, you know, my life is over now because they don't keep him in because, you know, you have to take him home and look after him. She had no idea what she was supposed to do. And um, she ended up she canceled all of her plans. She was going to go back to school and, you know, all sorts of other things that she wanted to do with her life. Now she has to be with him 24-7. And she has to make sure he takes his medication, uh, the same with my mother. And, and you know, if it's not working out, then they have to change the medication. He has to start all over getting used to that. And then you have to deal with a 19-year-old. And I I feel really sorry for her because all the other 19-year-olds are out partying and having a good time and doing what kids do, and he can't. He can't even take a single bottle of beer and drink it because it will throw himself back into a psychotic breakdown. So she's constantly vigilant. Her life is basically taking care of him and making sure that he doesn't hurt somebody or himself.
2: This is sadly another story that's all too common in connection with the particular illness you've been talking about, schizophrenia, the psychotic episodes. Uh, But there's a common factor that crosses from that type of illness perhaps into the Alzheimer's disease, the dementias that you've experienced with. And the problem is that the healthcare system can be very difficult for family caregivers to communicate with. That is to say, they sometimes are reluctant to give out information, they're sometimes reluctant to receive information, and sometimes they argue that they really can't say anything or do anything until they have the, I don't like the word, but the patient's permission. Have you come across any of those kinds of situations or heard about them? Oh
3: Yes, that's what happened to me. It took me two and a half years to get the medical notes from the nursing home where my mother was incarcerated, for want of a better word. Uh, they did not want to share information. And I, once I got the 400 pages of handwritten notes and went delving through them, I realized why that was because my mother had had falls. She had injuries. She was on a combination of drugs that would stop an elephant in its tracks. And it's because... First of all, they can't afford the staff that they need to take care of each and every patient. So they like to drug them, keep them quiet. They, They call it chemical restraints. And that was my mother. You know, she was a difficult patient, and that's how they coped with it. And, you know, at the end of the day, they have a bottom line, and they also have to, you know, keep all the other patients from, from going off the deep end. So they're in a difficult position, but they, they are not forthcoming at all. And I had to file a freedom of information request to get the notes that I did, and even that didn't work, and eventually I had to get a court order because I needed to know what was going on the client behind closed
2: doors. And that's particularly important when – you, the family caregiver, really do not know what's going to happen next because the situation, although in some respects is predictable, it very often isn't. Um, you're not sure when you call in what you're going to hear. Uh, you're not sure, in the case of a parent looking after a young person with the uh, tendency to psychotic episodes, uh, what the next problem is going to be. So these kinds of situations reflect... And this is a question with a question mark at the end of it. Problems in the healthcare system. Do you agree with that?
3: Absolutely. Uh you know, they, they need you as a as a caregiver, but the other hand they don't want to include you in the decision making process. And also, you know, if if you have to go outside, for instance, um, my life stopped when this happened. I, I that was it. And a lot of women who were working stopped working because they cannot not look after the parent or the child, whatever the situation is, um, and everybody just expects that. But it, it's like, I think we, uh, America pays um, two hundred sixteen billion dollars is the value of one year of unpaid caregiving for all the people who do it in this country. That's huge. That's like yeah. half the value uh, every year of what Walmart makes. And yet everybody expects it. It's, it's a freebie. And, it, and then, of course, you try and get involved in the decision-making process, and they don't want to know you. And so you don't have any say over what's happening to the person that you love. It's very, very frustrating.
2: And they don't at times respect you, do they?
3: No, not at all. Either you're an annoyance. Or they, or you're, you know, unpaid labor. Either way, they just, you're not part of the loop that they're in. Because they're in the, let's face it, nursing homes are a huge multi billion dollar a year industry. And they're all about their bottom line, too. They want to make sure that they get the patients in and, you know, at the least possible expense and so on and so forth. You're kind of an annoyance at that level. But on the other hand, uh, if you were to pay somebody, to look after your, like in my mother's case, although she couldn't go home because she was too far gone, it would cost about $85,000 a year to have one person looked after all day, every day, for a year.
2: Exactly. Now, talking of money and nuisance, it is time where we have to take the break. This is where we pay the rent, so let's do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Glynis Walker. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on The Voice America, Variety (coughs) and Empowerment Channels, and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. (laughs)
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening
1: to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to... To Family Caregivers
2: Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Glennis Walker. Our topic is lives of family caregivers and the consequences. So let's talk more about the consequences for family caregivers of their lives, the lives they lead as family caregivers. So Glynis, what are the consequences of family caregiving for the physical health of the family caregiver?
3: Uh, your immune system crashes. <laughs> That's what happened to me. Um, you know, you get psychological problems, depression. I was very, very depressed. Uh, you lose weight. I lost 14 pounds because I just stopped eating. It's just, you live in a constant state of stress. And, and in my case, um, I'm not a person who cries, but I would burst into tears just randomly. And of course, that upset my children. And my, my youngest daughter, who was 16 when this started, she goes, You know, Mom, you're not the only one who lost their mother. I lost mine, too that so you wow. have guilt beyond belief, you know. I'm feeling guilty about putting my mother in a nursing home, although I didn't have a choice. I'm feeling guilty because I can't be there for my children. There, you know, we, we became distant because of my, I was here, but I was absent, if you know what I mean, because I was thinking about my mother and what was going on and what was I going to do next. So, you know, the whole family suffered, and I don't think that people really understand. They just go, oh, yeah, well, she'll look after it, you know, but everybody suffers. You know, my relationship, my personal relationship, relationships all suffered I didn't want to see my friends I didn't want to be with my fiance I just wanted to be left alone
2: now I would classify the things you've been talking about and I'm not in any way being negative Glynis as psychological factors now first off would you agree with that and in any case what would you see as the purely physical effects of all this stress on family caregivers in situations like you were in
3: Fatigue. You don't sleep. You just don't. You're always, always tired. Um, it, you, as I say, I lost weight. I didn't eat. And, you know, that affects how you feel about everything. It, it's just, it's, it's stress beyond belief. In fact, my, I went, my friend who had the son with a psychotic breakdown, she goes, you need to go see a therapist, somebody you can talk to because nobody wants to talk about it after a while. You know, your kids don't want to talk about it. My fiance didn't want to talk about it. I had nobody to talk about it with the feelings that I was having. So I went to a therapist and he goes, You've got post traumatic stress disorder. And it's like, Oh, that's what this is. I knew I had something. Thank you for putting a label on it. But it's true. I mean, it just, it, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I had aged a hundred percent faster because of this in every way p- possible.
2: Now, let's ask about the consequences of family caregiving for the financial health of the family caregiver. Now, you, you had been through or have been through a particular situation of fraud where, in fact, you were robbed uh, or your mother was robbed and therefore you were robbed. But going beyond that, let's supposing that there hadn't been this theft, this robbery, this fraud what would have been the consequences on the financial health of you as a family caregiver under those circumstances?
3: Well, uh, a lot of women who end up being caregivers uh, either cut down their hours at work because they have to, or they just give up working. So that affects them financially. Um, There are Expenses like you wouldn't believe, you know, there's you know, extra doctor trips, like in my case, flying back and forth, um, hiring somebody to, to give you a break on the weekend so that you can actually go back and do your laundry or whatever. You know, there's extra expenses that you, as the caregiver, have to pay, and it, it causes your savings account to dwindle down to zero.
2: Now, you mentioned guilt, so I'd like to go back to that and ask you about that. Um, First of all, describe in a little more detail the guilt that you felt and what you felt the guilt about.
3: As I said earlier, I loved my mother very much, and we were very, very close. And it was always my plan. That And we talked about it, I mean, years in advance, and I recommend that to anybody, you know, get it out in the open and talk about what your plans are if something happens. And I always told her, when the time comes and you can't live on your own anymore, you're going to come and live with me. We have a room with a bathroom, it's downstairs, and I will look after you. And she was fiercely independent, and she poo-pooed the idea. But then it got to the point where, not only could she not come and live with me, but she couldn't live in her house anymore because she was a, a high a high elopement risk and a high fall risk. I mean, she was very badly off, and she was very frail. So it was the doctors sat me down and said, look, you can't take her with you. You can't let her go home. She has to go into a nursing home. And I I didn't want to do that. I wanted to spend the last years of her life with her, what I didn't realize at that point was she was already gone, and whoever it was I would be what had been bringing home was a complete and utter stranger, who would have been impossible for me to manage uh, because of her aggressive tendencies. Is it they right? Have that... guilt.
2: Sorry to interrupt you. Is it right? Though to say that you felt guilty about all of that, even though it was a situation that was really beyond your control, am I right in what I've just said to you?
3: Oh, you're absolutely right, and and even though that you know the intellectual part of you says uh, you know you're doing the right thing, it'll be the best place for her, she'll be safe. I thought, um, didn't turn out to be that way, but you know, as most people who put their their elderly relatives into a nursing home go in with the expectation. That they're going to be cared for as though they would care for them. But to some of the situations that have come to light, you know, everybody knows horrible nursing home stories. They're not, you know, there are a lot of them out there and, and really elderly people. And I hate to say this because I'm approaching that level myself, but, um, they're disposable. And they're they're seen as much like children of 30 years ago. You know, children could scream, you know, that they were being uh, abused or whatever. And everybody would all go, oh, no, it's just their imagination. Well, now we've got older people, and it's like nobody cares. You know, there, there, there's so many places uh, that don't have laws that deal with this. They just don't. I mean, I, I tried very, very hard to uh, bring criminal charges against the women who defrauded my mother. And it's like, we just don't do that. We don't have any anything on the books that, you know, deals with that. And it's like, well, you maybe want to think about doing that because there's going to be a lot more after this.
2: Still on the guilt questions. Did you ever feel guilty about the things that were going wrong by reproaching yourself for not having done things differently, for not having worked hard enough, not having got enough information. Did you ever feel guilty over those things?
3: I did. I really did, especially within, in, in the first year of, of her illness. Um, because, you know, like everybody else, you're finding your way around a situation that you have no familiarity with. And I'm questioning myself, am I doing this right? Did I do that right? Should I do this instead? And, you know, nobody really has any has any answers for that. And um, it got to be the Christmas time when we called her and, and she couldn't make sense of our call. And I was, I went into deep depression. I was feeling so guilty. If only I had done something, I would have prevented this or whatever. And about the middle of January, which would be 2011, I, uh, I thought to myself, well, you can either sit here and wallow in it or you can actually do something to help her by, you know, finding out where her money went, what's going on with her, you know, filing the Freedom of Information request to see what's happening at the nursing home, all that stuff. And so that's what I did. You know, I kind of reverted back into the way I normally am, uh, which is, you know, research. And um, that was very healing. It was extremely healing because I felt I was in control. The year prior to that, I felt everything was spinning out of control, and I didn't know what to do to fix it.
2: Still asking you about the guilt, to what extent was your family, um, the family as a whole, aware of your guilt feelings? And did you share those with them? How did they respond if you did? How did they respond if you didn't? Please talk to us about that aspect of the guilt.
3: Initially, they were there for me. Everybody was horrified by what was going on, Um, especially my youngest daughter, because she was very, very close to her grandmother. I mean, they were just two peas in a pod, always were. And then they saw me falling apart, and I did. And then they kind of backed off and went, oh... We don't. Mom's falling apart. We don't know what to do either. So they were basically going through the same thing I was going through with my mother, except that I was their mother. So after a while, we became kind of a dysfunctional family. Um, nobody talked about it. Nobody talked to each other. Uh, it, but there was no like. Oh, the only support I had were, were from my friends, uh, and they were just horrified, and, and they would let me go on at great length <laughs> about what was going on this week, and um, but my kids. They had their own lives, especially being teenagers. And one was getting ready to go to college and and throughout the beginning of all this I had to do the whole college thing with her and that was hard because I was distracted and she doesn't you know, doesn't have a dad, so there was nobody else to pick up the slack on that end. So I felt guilty about that. I was absolutely drowning in guilt. I really was. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I realized that there was nothing I could have done. This happened, and I did deal with it, but... I, you know, and I've got, I've gotten over that hump by now. About feeling, oh, if only I had done something else. I realized that there was nothing I could have done. I couldn't have prevented it. There was nothing I could have done to make her better, make her more comfortable. I did the best that I could, as every caregiver does, because you question every action that you have. You know, am I doing the right thing for this person, or you don't? I mean, just as a side, my mother when she first went into the nursing home. She had a roommate uh, who had been there before she got there. And this lady had been found in the church doorway, beaten, I mean, broken bones, smashed face, covered in bruises. And she was about the same age as my mom, 85. And somebody had just beaten you-know-what out of her um, because, for whatever reason, they couldn't cope with it anymore. And so you find caregivers who snap. You know, I, I don't know what the whole story was, but they never nobody ever came forward and identified who she was. Um, nobody wanted her back. And that's sad, because who wants to end their life like that?
2: What you're describing is a very worrying situation, which is basically um, family caregiver taking the strain, feeling the guilt, things that they have no reason to feel guilty about and faced with a system that far too often seems as though it really doesn 't care, other things are more important now i 'm going to be in the next segment asking you about what you would like us to do, what you would like to do yourself, what would you would like to see done to address those kinds of situations because Addressed, they must be. So let's take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atley, and my guest is Glennis Walker. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Music
4: now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take voice america on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market tune in to the voice america variety channel on the voice america talk radio network voice america variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand all from your iphone blackberry or android download it from the apple app store blackberry app world or android market and get ready to tune in the voice america mobile app powered by aircast stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voice america.com
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers
2: Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Glynis Walker. Our topic is Lives of Family Caregivers and the Consequences. So let's talk, Glynis, about things that you want to do and see done to help family caregivers. One, what more do you want to do and see done to help family caregivers avoid the consequences for their psychological health?
3: I I think some sort of recognition for their effort, given that they are so contributory to the general economy. I mean, billions of dollars, hours, uh, you know, have been given freely, to this situation. And we need a little recognition. The same as we do for, you know, we we don't have a really good uh, maternity leave policy in this country. We're the only civilized country in the world who doesn't address the fact that women want to be home with their babies when they're, you know, small. The same thing with caregivers. Let's, you know, let's get some laws going saying, all right, you know, let your employer, you know, work with you so that you can do your job and be a caregiver. You can't just expect people to drive themselves crazy and pull out their hair all by themselves. Let's give some recognition to all the caregivers for what they do and how important it is because if they stop doing it, what's going to happen to all the old people?
2: Right. Same sort of question, what do you want to do and see done to help family caregivers? But this time it's avoiding the consequences for their physical and their financial health. What what do you want to do? What do you want to see done?
3: Well, that's a good one. Um, As I say, you know, in certain countries in the world, there are provisions made for uh, uh, support payments from the government, you know, like... uh Canada has a policy for children under parents under a certain age, uh, income level. They get a little bit of money from the province to offset some of their expenses. Why can't we do this with caregivers? Why do they have to carry the whole financial burden on their own? Why can't we understand that these people also have to survive? And if they're going to use up their entire savings looking after their aging parent, what are they going to do when they get to be that old? There won't be any money for them. And, you know, it's it's like... We really need to recognize their contribution to all of us, because if if they stop contributing, then society's going to have to contribute, and that's just the money's just not there.
2: This recognition is partly, of course, saying thank you, we value you, um, giving. Publicity to what they do, emphasizing the way in which they subsidize the system. And that's part of it. Because feeling valued for what you do uh, is a very good boost to doing more of the things you're actually doing. But what you're also saying, and I want to just probe you a little bit more on this, is that the consequences for their physical and financial health go beyond that recognition of words it means doing something financially it means doing something that actually going to help them physically cope with the task they've got have i got you right and if so can you give me a couple of examples
3: no you're you're exactly right and uh physically particularly um yeah you know, we have all kinds of physical recommendations for people who are overweight or have certain diseases or whatever it is. Let's have some kind of support systems in place to deal with people who are dealing with people in the, in their elderly years or in any other situation. Um, let's have some support groups. Let's just have some, you know... Let's it out there that maybe we should have a, you know, just to be silly, but let's have a National Caregiver's Day and let these people know that they are valuable to us, and their sacrifices do not go fall on deaf ears, as it were. Um, and and that would help, I think, alleviate the stress, because one of the worst things about being a caregiver, in my example, you know, in my instance... I was all alone. I've never known a caregiver before. I've I've never had to deal with, you know, being a caregiver. I didn't know what the rules of the game were. But wouldn't it be nice if somebody could say, look, this is what you have to do, that's what you should do, and this will the way it will turn out. And that's why I always recommend you know, when your parents or whoever it is you're caregiving for is uh, still mentally sound and physically sound, it's a good time to have the talk. What do you want? What are your life's end plans? And I, I know because I went through this with my dad. Uh, he died in 2006. And um, he was fine mentally, physically not so good. But he wouldn't talk about what he wanted. And he wouldn't discuss it. it. It's in his way of thinking he was never going to die and that was the end of it. So we got to like two, three days before he died and I, I'm trying to find out does he have a will? And he wouldn't talk to me. Which made everything much more difficult, which is what brought me into this circumstance in the first place, because I found out he didn't have a will, and then I got a lawyer to come to the house, because he was too sick to go to the lawyer, and the lawyer is one of the people who defrauded my mother. So it's like, do not use the Yellow Pages for anything. That's all I can say. But um do make a life's end plan. It, it makes it so much easier for the people you love. And, you know, do you want to go into a nursing home? Do you want a DNR? You know, do you have a will? Do you have a power of attorney? Uh, who's going to do that for you? I mean, just all those things, the details of life, um, like you do when you're the parent of a young child. You make plans. You get, you know, you may start a college fund or whatever it is you're going to do. Um, A lot of people shrink away from talking about the end of their lives as though it's wishful thinking or something. But really, it's just kind enough to everybody for you to let everybody know what you want. And I think that everybody should have the
2: talk. Right. Glennis, I often hear um, on this show how people, family caregivers, feel alone uh, particularly when the situation first develops, but also continuingly afterwards, and also how they need information. And what that's leading to is the idea that there might be some kind of support for family caregivers along the lines of family caregiver guidelines – The model is that doctors and nurses use things called clinical practice guidelines, which basically are guidelines drawn up by people who looked at the literature, looked at the science, looked at the evidence and said, look, in these particular situations, the best way to go, and this is talking to doctors and nurses, is this. Would you see a family care guideline as being helpful to people like you in the past, maybe uh, the immediate past, maybe at the earliest stages, would you welcome that as a kind of development for family caregivers? Oh,
3: absolutely. If I had had a map to to help me negotiate my way through this circumstance, I would have been so happy because I didn't have a clue what I was doing when I started out, and now, of course. I'm an expert, unfortunately, but yes, just, you know, lay it out on paper so people have something like that. And actually, um, sometimes funeral homes will provide with information about end-of-life decisions, but they go back before, like, the actual death part. They get into the last 10 years or the last 15 years, and they do have guidelines, but you know what? It's, It's just, you're very lucky to stumble across it. We need to have, like, More publicity. You know, like Alzheimer's has an association. Caregivers need to have an association where there's like a clearinghouse of information. So you know where to go for the information. And it's at your fingertips when something like this happens.
2: Okay. Last question. What's your message, Glynis, for family caregivers?
3: Hang in there. Don't ever give up. And don't ever forget that you love them, even though they don't seem to love you back anymore.
2: Very powerful. Glynis, I want to say thank you for sharing with us your experience, what you've understood from your experience, and the advice that you're able now to offer to people setting out to travel along the same road that you've travelled. And what you've also said is that you would have benefited from various kinds of help, including the sense that you're not alone, including uh, information in the form of what you call a map, which I think is a very good term. So for all of that, thank you. And for all that follows, we wish you every success and... All of us. I'm speaking, I hope, for everyone. We'd like to see you go back to radio broadcasting, writing books, and getting the message out. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about creating a therapeutic community for mental health care. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I
4: do appreciate you being right.